The scripture reading this morning begins with Galatians 2, 14 through 17. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. And then, finally, Romans 4 Verses 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There is a movie called Calvary. And at the very beginning of the movie, there's just a black screen. And an epigraph that is sometimes attributed to St. Augustine, but we're not really sure where it came from, reads this way. Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. Do not presume. One of the thieves was damned. And from there, the tension is set for the movie. And every character that you find and you encounter in the movie is either good or bad. They're either honest or deceitful. They're either chaste or immoral. And the tension of the movie represents the spectrum of life. And so there is this constant tension, even up to the end of the movie. And in Galatians chapter 2, in this text that we are in today, there is this same kind of tension present. Peter pops up and he confronts, uh, uh, he is confronted by Paul. Paul says, Peter, you're not really living in line with the gospel. You're not in step with it. And at the core of the issue is, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? And so we've been spending a lot of weeks talking about what that is and how a Christian walks the line of the gospel. And so uh, the last few weeks, we've been through some compressed truths of the gospel. We talked about righteousness, that deep down, every one of us wants to walk rightly. We all want to be right with each other. We want to be right with the world. We want to be right with God. We talked about law. And that down deep, we all want to walk rightly, but we all want to walk rightly with the right motive. And that's what law is all about, because we can outwardly do the right things, but still be headed for a cliff if we don't have the right inward motives. We talked about justification, because down deep, we all want to walk rightly, and we want to walk with the right motive, but we want to be seen as doing so. And justification is how people view us, especially God. And God changes his view of us because of Jesus. And then we talked about what it means to be crucified with Christ. Because down deep, everybody wants to walk rightly. 
We want to walk with the right motive. We want to be seen as walking rightly with the right motive. And the solution to that is not an ever stricter code of behavior. The solution is to know God. The solution is to have my identity placed squarely in the crucified Messiah Jesus. That's what it means to be crucified with Christ. And when this happens... In my repenting, in my confession of faith, at my baptism, then we are given forgiveness. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And from then on, everything that is true of Jesus is true of me. And everything is true of Jesus is true of you. And that is the best message in the world. But there's still this tension. There's this sticking point, because even on my best days, I don't feel like, most of the time, I'm the righteousness of God. Let's be honest, that's not really some uh, description that anyone would choose to use. It's not a greeting that we would choose to use, right? How are you today? Well, I'm the righteousness of God. We we don't say that, right? Uh, it's, It's because we don't feel that. No person ever said that. But is it true? In Jesus it is, absolutely. But is it true? No. No, it's not. And at the end of the day, we are caught between the righteousness that we have been afforded in Jesus and the righteousness we hope to live out. And I'm going I'm to phrase it this way today. We are caught between two thieves. We are caught between two thieves. And this tension is all throughout our life. And we find it in this text in Galatians chapter 2. If you'll look at verses 15 to 17, you'll find that the word we is used four times. And I got to ask the question, who is the we that we're talking about in these verses? It's the end of a summary statement where Paul is challenging Peter And he is confronting him about not walking the line of the gospel. Peter had withdrawn from fellowship from the Gentile believers because he was afraid of what the Jewish brothers might think if they saw him eating with Gentile people. And so he stopped doing that. And Paul, in these verses, is his words to Peter to say, look, you're not walking the line of the gospel. Remember who we are. And the we becomes Peter, and it becomes Barnabas, and it becomes Paul himself, and it becomes all of the other brothers that were also sucked in to this hypocrisy of Peter and Barnabas. And so the we includes some very heavy-hitting apostles, some big names, Peter, Paul, Barnabas. And here's the first thing that we learn about we, is that we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by the law. That's in verse 16. We, Paul and Peter and Barnabas and the others, are justified by faith. And so we are right in God's eyes. We are justified. Now, that's not hard to buy, right? I mean, if we were going to make the case for some of the greatest Christians to ever live, wouldn't Peter make the list? Sure. Wouldn't Paul make the list? I I, I think absolutely so. And yet, the second thing that we learn about we is in verse 17. This is what Paul says. 
But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. And so Paul states, we are sinners. Now, you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dusty. That, the way that that reads, that sounds like, a hypo- like he's making a hypothetical statement. Like, like just hypothetically, if we were sinners. But that's not it at all. That's not the way Paul constructs the sentence here. It, it, the way he writes it, he assumes that it's true. The NIV, if you're reading from that, gets closer to the idea. It says, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. That gets closer. The message version, I think, nails it. Here's what the message version says. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? That's exactly what Paul is intending here. We are not perfect. We, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, all of the other apostles, some of who, whom walked with Jesus, we are not perfect. We sin, and we're no different than those Gentile brothers across the table because, as Paul will write later in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, both the Jews and the Greeks are under sin. Guess what? That includes everybody. That's, that's you too, right? No one is righteous. No, not one. And so, at the end of the day, here's what we have. Paul is writing, we're justified. And then we have Paul writing, we're sinners, well, which one is it? Which one is Even with the greatest missionary the church has ever known, there was, there was this tension. Am I justified or am I a sinner? And even he is caught between two thieves. And I'm going to submit to you that we are too today. Nancy Ortberg um, writes in her sermon, The Jekyll and Hyde of Motherhood. She kind of takes from the Jekyll and Hyde story, and she writes this, when I became a mother, I found a Jekyll inside of me. For the first time, there was a person in my life whom I loved more than myself. I was doing unselfish things because I wanted to. I was becoming a patient and kind, calm, reasonable, generous, thoughtful, loving person. And I thought, this is a good thing. This person who is, who is emerging, I loved being a mom. But then there is another person who comes out sometimes when I am a mom, a person I do not know, a person I want to say, who is she and how can I make her go away? At one time, I had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and an infant. And I woke to a fussy baby and he clung to me like a baby monkey hangs onto its mother and would not let me put him down. And while Johnny was clinging to me, my toddler was unwinding the toilet paper and making designs in every room of the house. She also took all of the books off of the shelves and started tearing pages out of them. And while this was going on, my three-year-old was begging me to play Candyland. I hate Candyland. There was a mound of dirty laundry threatening to suffocate me. There was no food in the house. I had to go to the grocery store. And at the grocery store, I had a baby clinging to me, a toddler in the grocery store, uh, grocery cart. My other one came running up and down the aisles. And the grocery cart was so full that I had to kick the pad of diapers down the aisle. In the toilet paper section, I fought to hold back tears as I thought, what am I doing with my life? Look at me. Back at home, I unloaded the groceries, 
I fixed lunch while the ice cream melted because I forgot to put it away. Then I took the kids to the park before rest time. At the park with three children is not fun. I kept counting one, two, three. I came with three. I've got to leave with three. By the time I came home, I hated myself. I hated my children. I put them in their rooms and shut the doors. And of course, none of them slept. I went into the garage and I cried. I just thought I was going to lose my mind. I felt like I was becoming impatient and frazzled and rude and angry, frustrated. And I was splitting into two people. Not all moms are like that. I know moms who are patient and kind toward their children almost most of the time. I admire them. I don't like them, but I admire them. That's not me. But when, just when you think you've got God figured out, He goes outside the lines. He meets you in a hundred different ways, and He does something amazing by telling you that He loves you even with that hide creature living inside you. God is interested in redeeming that creature and changing it. If you're honest, you can say that Hyde lives in you. I know Hyde lives in me, but the good news is that Jekyll lives there too. And I celebrate that person who is like God. Anybody have Hyde in them? Sure. But Jekyll is there too. And reality is this. Paul echoes it in Galatians chapter 2. In God's eyes, we are justified. In our own eyes, we're still sinners. And this is one of the deep truths about Christianity that makes it unique to every other religion on the face of the planet in the history of the world. Every other religion buys into this kind of line. And you've heard this before. It's not in the Bible, by the way, but you've heard it attributed to the Bible. Here's the line. God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard it? Sure, sure you have. You do the work to get to God. And so in this way of thinking, man reaches up, hoping to reach high enough to get into the presence of God, of the God he's worshiping, and God helps those who work hard enough to get to him. And there's no surprise that almost this identical thought is found not in the Bible, but in the Koran. In the Koran, chapter 13, verse 11, it says, Indeed, Allah will not change the condition of a people until they change what is in themselves. You see, in every other religious system besides Christianity, either one of two things is true. Either you are a moral failure because you failed to reach high enough, or by some miracle, you have succeeded somehow in reaching high enough and you are honored and loved by God. But let's face it, is anybody really that good? But it's one or the other. You're either a failure or a success. You're either a loser or a winner. Anybody watch the show uh, The Good Place? Have you seen this show? Um, Some of you. uh, The premise is that there's a lady who dies and she goes to The Good Place, right? And she ends up being there by mistake. And the whole premise of the show is that the people who make it, are supposed to make it to the good place are the people who are the cream of the crop, who have all of the right things 
they have done in their life. And if you, uh, I mean, if you just rev your motorcycle engine too loud, that's, that's some, you know, you get negative points for that. And only the best people are let in. And somehow she's there by mistake, and so she has to learn to be good. And so we naturally, it, it, the show is just a mirror of what we think. And what we think is that there are scales and there's good and bad, and if the good outweigh the bad, then I'm fine. But that's not Christianity. Following Jesus adds a third category to this paradigm of good and bad. And the third category is people who stand in the middle, people who are both good and bad at the same time. And I think that's what Paul's telling us. We are both at the same time. In Galatians chapter 2, he hints at it with the we statements, but he also makes the case more so in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, that was read for you. By the way, Jonathan Edwards preached on this verse in the 1700s. And after he preached his sermon on this verse in the 1700s, a third of the town was converted to Christ in 12 months. I wonder if something like that could happen in this place. If we would just take seriously what God is telling us. Here's what Romans 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Does it say if you clean yourself up? Does it say if you are able to reach high enough, you can be justified? No. It says the one who stops trying, the one who stops working, this, the one who simply stops and begins to trust Jesus because he's the one who will justify even ungodly people. That person will be righteous even though he's a sinner. And so here's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who stops reaching and starts trusting. And as a result, he is both at the same time. He is both a sinner and a saint simultaneously. We could say it this way, a Christian is an honored failure. A Christian is both reprehensible and redeemed. A Christian is both worthy and wicked. A Christian is both corrupt and crowned. A Christian is both virtuous and vile. A Christian is a righteous degenerate. And I'll say this about me. I'm a justified jerk. That's what I am. How are you today? Hi, good to see you. You doing all right? Yeah. I'm a justified jerk. Even though we're caught between two thieves, it turns out that that's exactly where we need to be to find life. Because between the two thieves is the cross. It's the cross. Luther said it this way, and I'm going to teach you, don't, don't freak out on me, I'm going to teach you some Latin, okay? Uh, how many of you remember Magister and had Magister? Uh, Magister will smile on you as you walk out today, okay? For the rest of you, just humor the rest of us, okay? Luther said it this way, it's a Latin phrase, and it goes this way, simul justus et peccator, simul justus et peccator. Simul is the, where we get the word simultaneously. 
Eustace, just put a J on that, and you've got justice, right? Justice. Et is and, and peccatory is a weird word that means sin, okay? So simultaneously, we are both justified and a sinner. At the very same time, we are 100% sinners, and we are 100% justified saints, and we are very bad mathematicians because it's hard to be 100% of something when you're 100% of something else. But theologically, it works. We are sinners because we have to daily fight against that old nature. One guy said this, that at our baptism, it's true that Adam Our old Adam was drowned in the waters of baptism, but then he said, man, can that sucker swim? (laughs) He's right, right? The old sinful nature must be drowned daily as we remember who we are. But at the very same time, we're also righteous in God's eyes because Jesus has made a way for God to say that about us. He's changed his view of us. He put his name on us. He crucified us with his son. He raised us to new life. He clothed us in Christ's righteousness. He washed us clean. According to the promise of the Bible, we are saints. You may not see that in your own actions, You may only see when you look at yourself the activity of a sinner, but Christ shed his blood for you so that you might be his, and we are. And the implications of this are huge. If we really understand what's going on, it will make us utterly different from every other person in the planet, and it will make you utterly different from the person that you used to be. If we remember simul justus et peccator. Say it with me. It's fun to say. Simul Eustace et peccator. One more time. Simul Eustace et peccator. One more time. Simul Eustace et peccator. Now, congratulations, you know Latin. Awesome. To understand this, that phrase, is to understand how to live as a Christian and how to walk the line of the gospel that we've been talking about. Remember Peter and his problem. His problem at the end of the day was racism. He didn't want to eat with his Gentile brothers. He was afraid of what his Jewish brothers would think. And Paul didn't pop up and say, you're wrong. He could have, and that that would have been true. What he popped up and said was, Peter, your racism isn't in line with the gospel. And here's a simple but very obvious truth. The way to stay on the line in the middle is not to go to the left or the right. Say, wow, that was, that was deep, Dusty. Thank you very much. The way to stay on the line is not to go to one side or the other. But that's what we do all the time. We are naturally inclined to go one way or another. And when we do, if we fall to the right, we call ourselves legalists. Let's just say it's law-ism. It's people who deny that faith in Jesus saves completely, and so they have to add the law. They have to add their good deeds to what Jesus has done in order to have God smile at them. And that's what Paul is confronting in the book of Galatians. That's where the teachers are that he is confronting. They are legalists. 
And the motive over on this side is to justify myself by satisfying the requirements of the law, and the way I find God is to live rightly and obey. That's one way that I can fall off the line. The other way, if I fall the other way, it's something called antinomianism. You can forget that. It just means anti-law. It just means against the law. And while we're going to call this other side legalist, we're going we're to call this side loveist. Loveist. Because that's really what's happening. These people deny that God judges with consequences, and so the law is ignored. And so the motive over here is to justify myself, not by keeping the requirements, but by eliminating them altogether. I sweep them under the rug and I just ignore them as if they're not there, because if there is a God, surely He is loving and kind and isn't going to really punish people like He said. The problem is, if you go in either direction, and it's very normal, every day, We want to go to one side or the other. It's hard to stay in the middle. But if we go to either side, then we've missed the gospel. There was a church father who said this, as Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel of justification is always crucified between these two opposite errors. And we crucify justification by faith when we step to one side or the other. And so the goal is to plant ourselves in the third group, this, this group in the middle, those who have stopped working and have started trusting in Jesus as their righteousness who walk the line in the middle. And so a Christian is somebody who is on one hand a sinner and a moral failure, but also on the other hand, at the very same time, righteous and absolutely loved in Jesus. And when we hold these two ideas together, and walk the line of the gospel, then we have power for living. It is incredibly hard to stay in the middle, but it's also more farther reaching than you can ever imagine. And so that principle is best understood with some practical real-life situations, and so I want to just run through two very quickly, okay? Now, what we've done so far is we've just poured the footings. Have you ever built a house? Anybody ever built a house? You, you don't go out and, uh, unless you're, you know, really kind of a construction nerd, you don't, you don't go out and watch them pour the footings. That's boring, right? But without the footings, you can't have the house. No, you, you go and watch them put the walls up and put the roof on and put all the finishing touches inside and the kitchen in. You could care less about the footings. What we've just done is the hard work of the footings, and now we're going to watch the house go up. Let's deal with confrontation first. First, let's say somebody wrongs you. Somebody does something that offends you. If you step off the line to the legalistic side, here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, how dare they? How dare they do that? And I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to attack them. Why? Because that makes me feel good. Well, what does it do to them? It kills them. What if I step off the line to this side, to the lovest side? What am I going to do? I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to pretend that offense never happened. I'm going to let it go. And that's going to make the offending person feel pretty good because they don't have to deal with it, but it's going to kill me. Because there's always going to be the, uh, right? But if you're in the middle, if you're simul eustis, at peccator. 
you're unique. You know that the Bible says, overcome evil with good. Jesus has commanded us to forgive so that you're free. He's also said that ultimate justice is in God's hands. That God sits on the chair of judgment. And when we walk the line in the middle, we can let God be the judge. We can forgive and we can let God be the judge. And in the freedom of that, we can then, if it's necessary, go and confront that other person about their wrong. But we won't do it in such a way to crush them. And we won't do it in such a way to sweep it under the rug. No, we'll do it in such a way that we restore the relationship. By the way, that's Matthew 18. There's a blueprint for that. If you need one, scratch that down. Matthew 18. And only if you're humble and know you're a sinner will you be able to forgive somebody who's offended you. And only if you're accepted and righteous will you have the boldness to confront somebody who has done you wrong. And so you are both at the same time. Oh, that's a hard way to live, isn't it? I, didn't, I, I told you, it was hard. It's easier to go one side or the other. Suffering. Let's say you're on your way home today and you have a flat tire. Uh, no, let's, let's make it a little more uh, pressing than that. Let's say that you're on your way to the most important meeting of your life and you have a flat tire. If you fall to the legalistic side, you'll get out of your car and you'll look at that tire and you'll say, oh, this is because I did that thing last week. Oh, God is me, punishing me because I, I did that wrong thing and now oh, I can't stand myself because if I had only done that other, that different, if I had only taken a different step, then this wouldn't have happened to me. And so when we fall off this way, we tend to think, oh, it's all my fault, and I hate myself, and God is punishing me because I did wrong. He's punishing me through suffering. On the other hand, if I fall off the line to the lovest perspective, then I say, surely a good God wouldn't allow this to happen. Surely there must not be one because it did happen. And so, I either believe in a holy God that's not loving, and when I do that, I will suffer and I will hate myself, or I believe in a loving God that's not holy, and when that happens, I will shake my fist at God and I will be mad at Him. Those are your two options. And think about the times that you've suffered, Think about which way you've, you've kind of drifted. Have you said, oh, this is probably my fault? Or have you said, God, I can't believe you would do this to me? It's one or the other. But the line of the gospel is the middle. If you're simul eustus et peccator, you are unique. Because on the one hand, you can't get mad at God because we're all sinners. Do you know what we really deserve? We really deserve death. And we really deserve death right now. The, very, the, the, the fact that we have even the next breath 
is because of the grace of God. I'm a sinner, so I can't get mad at God. And yet, I'm also redeemed. I also know that Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin. And so I know that I'm not suffering because I did something wrong in the past. Because Jesus has already paid for those wrongs. And if God is exacting another payment, then He's trying to collect twice. And God wouldn't do that. Jesus, in order to live a godly life, think about this, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the universe into existence, came to the earth and lived the perfect life. And in order to do that, he had to suffer. His ultimate suffering came at a cross, and he died, and he was buried. But out of that suffering, God was able to bring ultimate victory. And so as I stand here in the middle, and I'm not going to hate myself, and I'm not going to hate God, I have a biblical perspective that says, God will use this suffering for good. He will bring victory out of it, because if He can bring victory out of the cross, He can bring victory out of a nail in a tire. And so I get rid of the I hate me, and I get rid of the I hate God, and I remember, remember that I'm in the middle, and I have a completely different view. Well, that's hard. That's hard to walk in the middle. We could put all kinds of other situations through that filter, salvation, or forgiveness, or relationships, or bitterness, or anger, or lust, or envy, or pride. Those are the issues where in my life, if I step to one side or the the other, it's because I forget. I forget of what Jesus has done for me. I forget, and I either think that I'm only a sinner, and I forget how I'm loved, or I think of only how I'm accepted, and I forget what a wicked sinner I am. But for Christians who walk the line, there's a new incentive. There's a reason that we're here. And it only comes when we see both realities at the same time. You see you're a sinner. And you see the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you because of sin. And you see you're justified. You see that you're accepted in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done for you. And your incentive becomes gratitude for the cross in the middle. Gratitude for what He has done for us becomes the engine, the fuel that pushes a Christian to do everything that they do. I want you to look at one more verse. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Just look at the end of it. Here's Paul. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this is, this is what he says. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Does that sound like a man who's trying to earn something? No. That sounds like a man who is grateful for receiving everything that he didn't deserve. (laughs) Who is grateful for receiving life that he didn't earn. 
And it sounds like a man who knows that another man died on a cross for him between two thieves on his behalf to make him good even though he's not. Father, we thank you that we get this middle ground. There is no way we could live up to the righteousness you require. But it doesn't mean that we are without hope because your son has come. And because of what he has done, we have life. And we're able to walk through life with this tension that I am both righteous and justified and wicked and sinful at the same time and it makes me completely different from everybody else on the planet and the reason is Jesus we thank you for the one who gave himself for us may we now live for him and it's in his name we pray everybody said amen